following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show, episode 766 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and don't forget, the scholarly, Brittany Page. Well, apparently we're doing like a practice run for when we get to D.C., when the weather is much cooler. What do you... What do you mean? Well, I'm talking about how it's freezing in here and how there's apparently Listen. a refusal to put the heater on <laughs> to make it not freezing in here. It, I looked I looked the temperature right now. 61 degrees. 61 degrees. I took a picture of it what earlier. What are we doing? Listen. <laughs> what are we doing? In Listen. Here? Here's the deal. Oh, God. One of the main benefits mm. of living in Southern California. Mm. Is that during the winter time? Yeah, it finally is a normal temperature. Oh, and you don't need to turn on the heater. Sure, because it is beautiful. If I could have the, t- I mean, listen, sixty-one. You're wrapped in a blanket. You're warm. <laughs> well, I have to be wrapped um, in a blanket. If it could be sixty-four, sixty-five degrees in any room that I'm in at any given time, yeah, I would be. I mean, happy as a clam is weird, but I'd be super happy. <laughs> I would be very, very enthused about that particular temperature all the time. Because mm-hmm. this, we know people who live in Phoenix and like desert areas yeah. where they turn their AC on, but it's like set to like 78 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck that noise. That's too warm. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not saying that I want the phoenix heat i'm just saying i would like to be able to feel my toes and i'm having you you can feel your toes i'm having flashbacks of my childhood home when we couldn't afford to use the heater and i would wait until everyone went to sleep and then go downstairs and turn on the heater and go to the vent on the floor and put my blanket over it so that it would blow the heat right into my blanket wow yeah very cozy i'm about to do that so here's the deal here's the deal if that's the only excuse that works for you, then we can't afford to turn on the heat. <laughs> that's just, sorry. Good. Think, I'll, I'll sneak in the middle of the night and turn it on then. Things are tight right now. <laughs> uh, we don't have quite enough Patreon support. Oh, right. So really, it's on the audience that you're freezing cold. Don't blame me. Yeah, sure. No. And by the way, not a joke. It is really 61 degrees in here, and I am happy. I was walking around shirtless this morning yeah. when it was probably even colder, that's what I like. Yes. Well, I don't mind. I mean, typically we like to have the house around 68 and I like that, but it's it's a bit much right now and I am It's a bit. I am much. feeling quite cold. But I'm sure people are listening to this like, "Oh, she's freezing to death in 61 degrees. Just wait." Just wait. Well, that's then we will turn the heater on when we get to D.C. <laughs> well, we'll see, apparently. No, because it, it will be cold enough for that. Okay. It's just not cold enough for that now. Got it. Perfect. What? Sounds good. <sighs> any other... At least I have my blanket. Any other major complaints? 
No, I like it. We're preparing for a real winter and we're we're getting it we're getting it worked out. It's good. It'll be well, great. Well, here's the you know there's a there's that subreddit. Going to be good. That that am I the asshole or whatever the subreddit is? Yeah, uh-huh. I know that right now Mhm. The vast majority of the audience, you have turned them against me. Uh, that I'm some kind of a <laughs> like this is a like a like torture porn podcast, like Saw, yeah. like the movie Saw or something. Yeah, you and I both know that's not true or possible. So, um, what's not possible? Oh, that they would turn against me. Correct. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know that that's true either. I just listen. All right, we're not going to get into all of that. Yeah. You know, what we are going to get into some some. Well, I was going to guess listener communication, but I think it's something else. Yeah, it is an ad read. Ooh. A, a a sponsorship of this show. Very exciting. By a fantastic company called Aura. Preparing for each show, we spend a ton of time online in order to keep up with the latest news and current events. Given that you are listening to this, a podcast, chances are you spend a fair amount of time on the internet as well. Regardless of how careful we think we're being about our personal information when surfing the web, we have all entered sensitive data at some point online. Our home address, our phone number, our family members' names, our banking information. Once this data leaves your fingertips, who knows what can happen to it? Aura knows, and that's why we're excited to have them as the sponsor of this podcast. Aura is the digital security solution you have been looking for, a one-stop shop for protecting all of your online accounts, internet connections, and devices. For as little as $10 per month, Aura will block malware, manage your passwords, alert you to any appropriations of your online information, and so much more. Go to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it. Or click the link in the podcast notes to save up to 40% off all Aura plans right now. Sign up with Aura and they will be by your side 24-7 to guide you through any and all digital concerns via their U.S.-based customer support team. And all Aura plans come with $1 million in identity theft insurance in case of any losses. The more time we spend online, the more vulnerable our information is to attack. But it doesn't have to be. Protect your internet security with Aura. Click the link in the podcast notes or head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it and save up to 40% off all of their plans. And again, thanks to Aura for sponsoring this episode. And again, it is A-U-R-A.com slash I doubt it. Yep. So go check that out. Definitely. So let's get to some listener communication. We got three voicemails or so and an email. Let's start with the email, Brittany Page. Hey guys, I just listened to episode 764 and the earlier episode it referenced about taking a stance against anti-vaccine friends and family members and just wanted to share my experiences. I completely agree with Jesse that we need to take a hard line against these selfish people who are likely following sound bites from right-wing quote-unquote, news media. My wife and I had our daughter in the height of COVID back in June 2020 over here in Georgia. With our closest relatives being at least four hours away, we relied on friends respecting our request to either keep their distance from the baby while still being masked or to meet us all outside in an open area. This support system helped keep us sane in times before plentiful vaccines, hand sanitizer, and toilet paper. We're only now, 18 months later, starting to go out and do things for ourselves, masked, of course. Late 2020, my parents asked to come see their new granddaughter. 
I agreed so long as they wear a mask and keep their distance. When the time came, they came without masks and completely disrespected our boundaries. This was upsetting, but not surprising. My wife's family jumped at the chance to see the baby and with a COVID scare with a much older relative, thanked her for pushing them through the misinformation, although getting them to get the booster is an ongoing fight. We continue to push against having anti-vaccine family members from coming anywhere near us or the baby. I think we, all of us, including the caller on 764, need to hold our ground on this and continue to fight back any way we can. The anti-vaccine people are simply choosing their beliefs, overseeing loved ones, and keeping them safe. We shouldn't have any guilt about this. Personally, we've gotten no assistance from my family and no offer to compromise with video calls or distanced visits, which makes me feel like we're still in the right. Thanks. Frank O. They made their choice. It's dickish to say, I guess. It doesn't feel dickish. But if they won't even do Zoom calls, they made their choice. So, and also, let me echo again and again and again, you don't have anything, you or Catherine from Southern California have nothing to feel guilty about. Mm -hmm. You've extended the olive branch. You've made the necessary adjustments to keep your child safe. It just, the conversation does need to continue in an effort to convince other people who still feel some weird sense of guilt about keeping their children and their families safe to 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 extricate themselves from from whatever sense of guilt they're they're feeling because there is no need for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm, I think I've said everything there is to be said. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm on the record as being pretty staunch about it. Yeah. And it would be irresponsible of you if you were to bend the rules in order that your family could come and possibly infect your kid or put your child in danger. That would be negligent on your part. So good for you and everybody else who's taking this goddamn thing seriously. Thank you for the email. We appreciate it very much. Uh, let's move on to a few calls. Hey, guys. Um... This is John from Columbus. And, Jesse, to answer your question, what can we do with $200 billion? I don't even, I don't even want to think about it because so much, so much that we can do. You know, as, as you know, the war in Afghanistan, $2 trillion over 20 years to give us zilch, squitch, nada, nothing. We have, we have nothing to show for that $2 trillion that we spent over 20 years. Had that two trillion, even a part of that two trillion, been put into anything here, anything to quote build back better, make us better society as a country, it could have got more hospitals, could have hired more nurses, given teachers better salaries, taken every single kid out of poverty. There's so much that can be done, but. To these people, like Joe Manchin, it's about money, it's about fame, it's about the glory that they feel when they are successful, as they call it. Get off your money, Scrooge McDuck. No one gives a fuck. And be a person for once in your life. Be a person. Show some empathy. I'm not poor because I want to be poor. I'm not poor because... This is the life that I choose. I'm poor because I make just enough 
that I get by and I can save maybe 50 bucks a month. That's why I'm poor because I make just enough to get by because of inflation, because of all this stuff that you're yammering and bitching about, Mansion. When, it, when actuality, what it is, it, that's not the problem. The problem is you. The problem is you don't want to give up your money. You don't want to give up your perceived power. Well, I'm telling you to go fuck yourself because, and I'm sorry to say that, guys, but you, you already know. This, this is, Jesse, you're right. This is why we get involved. This is why we, we vote. This is why we push. This is why we continue to fight people like this because they're just greedy assholes who don't care. And before I go off on a launch and rampage, just want to thank you guys for all you do. You know, thank the community for being awesome. And I'll pull one out for Popeye tonight. Talk to you guys later. Peace. Oh, that's nice. Listen, um, it is very disappointing to me that the defense authorization passed without a hitch, without a debate, without any consternation whatsoever, which only shows, and we can talk about Joe Manchin or anybody else who voted for it, that we are prioritizing war and preparation for war over the elimination of childhood poverty and, by extension, childhood misery. What does that say about our morality or moral stance that we've taken as a nation? To me, it says a lot. And and, and it's an indictment of our media, who for months has called it the $3.5 trillion uh, bill, and not the $350 billion bill over 10 years, each year for 10 years. Because no one's calling this the seven and a half um trillion dollar or uh, uh bill the, the defense bill mm-hmm. no one's calling it by the same terms they labeled the the build back better program even today when i was pulling clips for build back better shepherd smith called it massive there were reporters with nbc that were using similar language yeah i've heard massive i've heard um I can't think of that. There's another one that they've been using, um, like, Im- ambitious. Yeah. Like, really selling how huge it is. Mm-hmm. Historic, all these things. Rather than, well, we're almost now half of what was originally proposed. Mm-hmm. So why don't they say, um, negotiated down, less than originally intended. Mm-hmm. We are, but but no one's making a, any peeps about the, the defense bill. The military spending bill, Mm -hmm. which is a massive bit of spending while we're in peace times. It's not like we're funding a war. Mm -hmm. Well, also, and we've we've talked a lot about this, but the media is also failing to talk about what the spending could do. I mean, you have the child tax credit, which, according to the Center on Poverty and Social Policy at Columbia University, the, the child tax credit expansion just in the month of November, kept 3.8 million children out of poverty. 
just just in the month of November. And yeah. it's ending this month. The final checks went out. It's not being extended. It's something that Joe Manchin is fighting against, according to Manu Raju, the reporter from CNN. Uh, talks between Manchin and Biden not going well on Build Back Better and noting that, quote, a huge sticking point is the child tax credit. Manchin wants it cut. Sources say that he wants to, quote, zero it out and that he and Biden are, quote, very far apart on this issue. But he didn't have a problem voting for the defense authorization bill. He did not have a problem funding the military at a ridiculous level. So it's close to eight hundred billion dollars in one year, almost a trillion in a single year. It's not hyperbolic to say that Joe Manchin is pro-child poverty at this point because you have an effective policy that is substantially reducing child poverty in this country, and he wants to put an end to that. And, and removing the, uh, uh, largely removing a burden, a financial burden from families all across the country and in his own constituency. It's not like West Virginia's rolling in the dough. And they've got more billionaires and millionaires per capita than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. They're one of the poorest states in the union. Right. But he doesn't fucking care. Because the interests he represents are not the interests of the people. Or the interests of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Gross. Thanks for the call, John. We appreciate it very much. Uh, moving on. Uh, last episode we talked about a couple of, we played a voicemail from a caller who talked about the struggles, financial struggles that they have. And then at the end of the episode, we talked about overdraft charges and banks and how that needs to be regulated or whatever. And it kind of, it, it struck a nerve. We got a couple voicemails about it, and uh, we're going to go from there. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Jesse. This is Logan from Oklahoma. Um, I just got done listening to your last episode, and it was towards the end that I got my interest truly peaked because I love your stuff regardless, but... The, the surcharges and the, the overdraft fees really caught my attention. I'm a disabled veteran. I'm, I'm living on my disability checks right now. Uh, I, like everybody else, have bills. Um, sometimes I can't make those bills all in one go because I just don't have enough money at the end of the month. But what I want to say is, yes, I agree with you guys 100%. We need to regulate the fuck out of these giant financial organizations who have had so many years of just, like you said, being predatory. Um, And speaking of being predatory, you said we need to make the payday loans illegal. I kind of agree with that. Uh, I spent several years in Europe, and they have a similar program. They have payday loans. Uh, I mean, when it boils down to it, that's all it is. However, their interest rates are reasonable. I'm talking like 10 15%. That's what us poors pay on a car note. They're not out there just to, you know, rape the poor. Um, they're, they're there to make a profit like everybody else is. They're not the exorbitant 1,500% interest like they are here. That's what I think needs to crack down on. They need to have an interest cap. No matter the credit score, no matter how poor you are, you shouldn't be getting fucked just because you don't have enough money. I mean, I'm, I'm poor, but I have food in my belly, a roof over my head, a vehicle to drive. Uh, I'm starting back to school next semester. But, yeah, we need to regulate the shit out of you bastards. And and <sighs> it's frustrating to talk about. But I agree with you 98% of the way. Um, I love the show, obviously. I, I've listened for about two years now. Um, 
And, you know, you're both the best part. Uh, Jesse, you're hilarious. I love, I love the jokes you make. Brittany, you keep them in check. You're a great team. Y'all take care. Refusing to pick a side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Well, listen, um, I'm reading right now. I just pulled up this article. I just typed in payday loan interest rates. And mm-hmm. it is, the headline here is payday loans can have interest rates over 600%. <laughs> and then here's the here's the, the rest of the headline is, uh, here's the typical rate in every U.S. state. And they're saying that the, the interest rates on these on these loans are 40 times that of the highest credit card interest rates. Jesus. If that's not predatory, I don't know what is. And by the way, this is something that not only Republicans have failed to to regulate, Democrats. Mm -hmm. These have existed for years and years and years. Obama didn't do anything about it. Joe Biden hasn't proposed to do anything about it. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. And going back, listen, it is more difficult probably now than ever because of the the income the wage gap the income disparities in the United States the interests that are being served by Congress which is corporate interest banking interest the interest of the wealthy mm-hmm. and not of regular people these are all contributing factors to this yeah thank you for the call Logan we appreciate it very much moving on same topic Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is Mike from Orlando. Um, just finished listening to episode 765. Um, couple of thoughts. Just, uh, you guys had that caller who had called in about the struggle and then you finished the episode talking about the overdraft fees. Um, you know, my, my family, we, my wife and I, we live in Orlando and it is just becoming unlivable. Uh, we both have bachelor's degrees, and we cannot afford to live here anymore. Um, hate the state, love the city, um, but uh, we're we're moving as well, and that's just a cause of the fact that pay is low and cost of living here is very high. Um, rent has exploded 40% in the last year in Orlando, and it is just uh, to the point where two people with bachelor's degrees can't afford, you know, to live in a two-bedroom apartment without taking up most of their expendable income. And so uh, we're going to move back to the Midwest, and that's not something we want to do, but, you know, we want to buy a home and we want to own a house. Um, you know, and as far as the caller goes, and it kind of tied in, in my mind with the, you know, the overdraft fees, the predatory um, situation from banking and, and payday loans, you know, similar to that caller, my wife and I, before we finished our education, we're in the position where, you know, we we were, you know, tight financially too. Like, sit counting pennies and change for gas money. Um, been there, um, uh, like so many Americans. And um, you know, we took overdraft or um, payday loans, and we ended up in this cycle where we couldn't afford to get out of it. I think it took a you know <laughs> a little tax return um, after maybe eight months of just paying it off and. Um, having to get another one, you know, it, it, um, it's not a great feeling to, to feel just stuck in that cycle. Um, but it seems almost symbolic of, of a lot of things in the economy today is that there's just a cycle and we have to find ways to either break out of it or just, you know, very easily like that caller feel, feel disheartened, um, about the situation. So anyway, those are my thoughts. Um, 
Love you guys. Love the show. Uh, Brittany's the best part, but I do find Jesse hilarious. Love the jokes, man. Take care. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. I'm getting, getting all kinds of love today. That's so nice for you. I'm happy for you. I saw you smile after, well, after Mike just said that. Two calls in a row. See, well, what happened is we got like 20 calls where they said, fuck you, and I, I'm not playing those. <laughs> Maybe we should have read the email from the guy who listed like every terrible thing oh about my God. moving and about Washington, D.C., and told us that moving is a trauma and said, good luck with yours. <laughs> well, let's, let's respond to this. I didn't plan on doing that, but let's do it. Now no, we we're not going to read it, but that's basically oh, I'm gonna what read happened. It. No, 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 no. I'm reading it. Let's... It's going to take way too long to read that. It's a I, very... I will read it. It'll be great. Uh, All right. Let's talk about what Mike said. Well, Mike, I think, touched on something important. At, at least this is what came to mind when I was listening to Mike talk, was there's this myth that poor people are very bad at managing their money. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to any poor person, they will tell you exactly how much everything is right. in their life. When they go to the gas pump, they know exactly the $7.31 that they can put into the tank. They know where they stand. Yeah, and I don't know if people have watched Made on Netflix, but I thought this was a really cool thing about that series. They had, when when on the first episode, she's leaving a situation that's very abusive and toxic, and they start the countdown, the financial countdown, and everything she does is subtracting money from this balance. Which they show on screen, yeah. Yeah, and they show it on screen, and and I think that's a really good reminder for people who have never been in that situation, that it's very expensive to live, and poor people are not bad at managing their money. They're not uniquely bad at managing their money. They just don't have money to manage. Exactly. And so I think the more that people talk openly about the fact that they don't have money and that they are poor, that they struggle in that way, like we've had many callers call and just talk about it. It's a fact of life. And we've talked about we've talked about being there, but there's a stigma to it. There's there's shame that you feel, even though, like uh, previous callers have said, they they are not doing anything wrong. Well, in this Mike's case. It seems like they followed all the advice. Oh, you got to go out and get a degree. You got to do all these things. Right. And it's still. Yeah. Even in the face of those good choices, using air quotes, because I don't think they're neither good nor bad. But right. or the quote still unquote, struggling. Still struggling. Or the quote unquote right choices. The quote unquote right, right. correct choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're facing a situation with... <laughs> Democrats in power who are going to turn on student loan payments. It's a quote unquote priority to have a smooth transition. High priority. Smooth transition back to people paying their student loan payments starting in February. Even though Joe Biden during the campaign talked about what a priority it was to cancel some student loan debt and then nothing done nothing. That's a lie. That's a failed campaign promise. Right. They're going to turn off the direct monthly payments for the child tax credit at the same time. Yeah. I mean, these are these are things that are a recipe for losing elections. People are going to be angry. You gave this thing to people that helps them very much, that makes their life a lot easier. And then you're going to take it away. Yeah. And that's going to make people really angry and rightfully so. And they're going to punish you. And they should. Well, 
let's not go there yet because <laughs> again we're we're at risk of like one party wants to overthrow our democracy another party is choosing to is sitting on their hands while it happens doing that but then also not taking meaningful action when it comes to policy that could improve people's lives and that does become a very very frustrating situation could improve people's lives and as an ancillary win elections that's how you fucking win elections, elected Democrats. You get shit done. You do whatever it takes to put Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema in their fucking place. Well, and that's why I stopped myself when I said punish them, because I, I don't want to encourage people to sit out elections or to vote for people that are in favor of overthrowing our democracy, for yeah. example. Like, we, we still need to stay the course. We still need to keep the pressure up. We still need to keep the political activism going in order to pressure these people to ultimately do the right thing. Otherwise, we're, we're in a bad spot. You let them hear your outrage. You let them feel your rage. That is what turns these people. Because if they think they're going to lose their job, they'll snap too. If they really, truly believe it. They will do something because it's not corporations that elect Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. It is people. Thanks for the. Oh no, we're going to read that email. I'm going to read that email. So this is this is a, an impromptu thing. It's very funny. It is interesting the kind of emails that we get. This is to my to my daily at Dollamore email address. Very strange that what people can like. This is like a, a guy who ostensibly is a fan or listens to the show, watches the show. And the, finding out that we moved to D.C., this is his encouraging email. Your move to Washington, or the district as insiders call it. It makes sense for a commentator to get closer to the action, but, and here we go, be advised, there's a downside to living here. One, someone is shot almost every night, mm. so reports our local TV news. Next, traffic is fucking awful. I-95 is the most congested highway in the East. Maybe being from California, that isn't a problem. Point is, if you're driving in, leave plenty of time since I'm retired. I don't have to get up in the mornings to go anywhere. I don't know about the morning rush hour. I have noticed the afternoon rush hour starts at 3 p.m. Okay, wait a minute. This email started with gonna list a downside. And so far, I've heard two. That's right. And one of them is like, there's murders everywhere. <laughs> More than just a downside. <laughs> if you opt for public transportation, Metro Rail, the uh -oh. subway system. Here we go. Is operating with only about one third of its fleet. Mm. After a derailment in October, all of the 7,000 series cars, the newest ones, were pulled from service because of defective wheels. Trains were running at 20 minute intervals. Fortunately, the situation won't last forever and some of the 7,000s will be coming back online. And then finally... Mr. Positivity over here. Housing is expensive. But since you're moving from California, I doubt it will cause you sticker shock. For my own curiosity, where have you chosen to live? Here's my address, sir. <laughs> when we moved here from Texas 20 years ago, the advice was Democrats live in Maryland and the Republicans live in Virginia. I don't know if that's true anymore. But there has been far more turmoil over COVID masks and vax issues in Virginia than Maryland. On our side of the Potomac, 
People wear their masks and go about their business. Nobody complains. Is the next bullet point about mad cow disease or feline AIDS? I think this may have been from Debbie Downer. I'm not sure. I think I have something like that. And then, no, he he ends it. I'm not going to leave his name or where he's from, but he does leave it with this. Moving is traumatic. Good luck with yours. Oh, Lord. I just love that he ends it with, there's so many murders. Yeah, I mean, people may be listening to this like, okay, this can't happen very often. But oh, my y- God. You'd be surprised, truly. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I read the emails and I, it, it's just very strange that people take time out of their lives. How to, many uh, emails have I gotten, say, to drive slow so we don't wreck and die on icy roads? Well, maybe they're just trying to be helpful and give us a nice little tip. Because we, we didn't think that we may have needed to drive carefully. Through certain areas. Well, what I'd planned to do, I mean, if I hadn't got those emails, I was just going to fucking blindfold myself <laughs> and just throw caution to the wind. Yeah. But thanks for all the advice on driving slowly. Yes. Good tip. Or even the speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful. We appreciate it. Anyway, uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I Doubt It at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to give a special shout out to our new Patreon supporter, Faye One. Faye One. Faye One, thank you so much. You will be getting a magnet. Remember, you will get a magnet if you sign up to be a Patreon supporter by the end of the month. Make sure when you sign up, you put your address in there because that is how I will get the magnet to you. We've received only two returned magnets so far, which I think is pretty good. And one of them was sent to the right address. Yeah. Mikey in Chicago. Yeah. So I'm going to need to figure that out because I don't know what happened there. I sent Mikey a message about it. Hopefully we can troubleshoot that and get the magnet to the like address that apparently is correct that it is not accepting the magnet. So we are happy that people are sending us photos of the magnet. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. We're so happy that you guys like it. It's it's great. Please be aware that the last week of December, we are likely releasing only one episode and we're planning on doing like a mail grab bag episode. So we're asking that listeners submit questions about anything to the voicemail line and voice memo line. I doubt it at dollamore.com and 657-464-7609. We've had some questions about what exactly that means. And it means just what it sounds like. Just yeah, like AMA. Us, yeah. Ask me anything. What, whatever question you have on your mind. If you've heard us tell personal stories about something and you're curious about something that we you know, didn't talk enough about, or it's a political question, what we're looking forward to in D.C., why Jesse won't turn the heater on in the house. I mean, whatever <laughs> it is that you are curious That's about. That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. <laughs> 
just send us a message and we will answer it on the mailbag episode for the last week of December. Also, we're canceling our Patreon hangout for this month because we're going to be moving and things are really hectic. And honestly, it's not super well attended in December anyway because it's the holidays. So we will bring that back the end of January. In the new place. Yes. Awesome. All right, we guys, we love you. Thank you so much for all of your support, all of your patience as we uh, endeavor on this new chapter of the show. Dalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So last time on the show, we talked about Liz Cheney having read those text messages in committee Mm -hmm. that had just broken right before we went to air. Yep. Before we went to air. It's a podcast. Jesse, calm down. No, it's a very professional situation around here. So she read all these messages. A lot of them were were, were uh, not ascribed to anyone. They weren't uh, appended to an actual person having sent them. I postulated that was likely because they were members of Congress and they were some rule. They were protecting them, whatever. That ended up being true. Um, mm. I don't know. Should I uh... <laughs> Tooting of my own horn, everyone. Can I... Again, when you said that ended up being true, you looked a certain way on your face. It was amazing. I could tell. What was the look? I mean, just like ultimate satisfaction. (laughs) That ended up being true. And then you're you're just like... Because unlike you, unlike you... I, I I mean you you hate to be oh, right. You 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 <laughs> No, of course. We all love being right and I would also jump at the chance to toot my own horn, but it doesn't happen ever, so I can't do it. Well, it's cuz I control the horn. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So anyway, um part of that was that three different Fox News hosts, Laura Ingram, uh, Sean Brian, Hannity. Bron, Brian Kilmeade and Sean Hannity all sent texts to Mark Meadows that day of the of the insurrection, imploring him to have Trump do something, mm-hmm. which is uh, completely separate and apart from the way they acted or, or different than the way they acted on the air when they would either blame Antifa or, or agitators or just downplay what took place, which right. is a far cry from the, the panic that they seem to be expressing. During the moment. Now, here is a Washington Post mashup of the text being read by Cheney and the initial response on air by those particular hosts. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. The Capitol was under siege by people who can only be described as antithetical to the MAGA movement. Now, there were likely not all Trump supporters, and there are some reports that Antifa sympathizers may have been sprinkled throughout the crowd. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished, Brian Kilmeade texted. About how I feel about the whole thing, uh, I just thought the tone, the attitude of defiance played out in the Capitol, the lack of security stunned me. I do not know Trump supporters that have ever demonstrated violence that I know of in a big situation. Quote, can he make a statement? Ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. They knew there were hundreds of thousands of people that came to town. 
We also knew that there's always bad actors that will infiltrate large crowds. I don't care if they're radical left, radical right. I don't know who they are. They're not people I would support. One of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Donald Trump Jr. texted. Donald Trump Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president. Quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. End quote. If you were to take his speech and compare it to literally any stump speech, you would see absolutely no deviation. But again, because the Democrats have the media in their pocket carrying whatever message, they can go on with impeachment part deux. I also was tempted to get a clip of Geraldo Rivera confronting Sean Hannity on Fox the other day about this. But I don't know. It seemed uh, a bit much for me. Everyone was talking over each other. Dan Bongino was there and it just turned into like a performance mode. I don't even know how to describe. I got a headache while I was listening to it. So I'm like, we can't do this to the listeners. Also, Geraldo, he's right. Like about once every 15,000 opinions, there's one that's good. I don't want to paint that guy as some kind of rational voice of reason. He is just as much of a Trump dum-dum as anybody else. Well, and during the clip, actually, what what Bongino's main issue was with what Geraldo said is that he's betraying Donald Trump. And I think he used the word friendship, possibly. And Geraldo Rivera did defend himself against that accusation, saying that he supported Donald Trump until... Things went south. So, I mean, even admitting that there was like a period of time <laughs> where you were supporting Donald Trump uh, tells us what we need. And to he know. has done for years and years. Anyway, yeah, for years. Not great. So uh, this really lays bare for me. And it, obviously, it's something that we know that they're complicit, that they're they even Sean Hannity was considered the 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 shadow chief of staff for years. He He appeared at campaign events. Fox did nothing. We know this. We know this. But it needs to be talked about a lot in order that we try to change some hearts and minds on the other side. Because, listen, they may not admit it, but people know this is not great. Well, and yeah, they're not admitting it. They are, in fact, defending themselves. Uh, When Tucker Carlson tossed to Sean Hannity the day after the news broke, the day after Liz Cheney read these texts, Tucker Carlson said, you didn't say anything different than what was in the text. Wasn't a big deal. Wasn't wasn't a big right, deal. Right, not a big deal. Yeah, and that that's the that's the route that they're taking. When if it had been again Don Lemon or Anderson Cooper or Chris Hayes or Lawrence O'Donnell or whoever mm-hmm. Rachel Maddow, right? The right would be losing their goddamn minds. Yes. They would be freaking out about. You see, it is the liberal media. They are complicit. They are working hand in hand. Wall just to wall. like just like uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. said. Yeah. That, oh, they got the media in their back pocket. As he's on Fox, who has who's in the pocket? Yeah. God damn. <laughs> just disgusting projection. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this is a story we're going to continue to follow. Mark Meadows was held and con- voted to be held in contempt by the committee. We mm-hmm. talked about that the other day. It was forwarded on to the House on Tuesday night. They voted to hold uh, him in contempt, and it has been forwarded on to the Justice Department, who I, I don't think it's any crazy prediction. But I, again, I think he's going to be held um, in charge with contempt. Mm. 
So we will see. Um, moving on. So we've been talking about the struggles to get Senator Joe Manchin on board with Build Back Better and the negotiations between him and Joe Biden. There's actually been some discussions today, as reported by Manu Raju, who's on the ground as the congressional correspondent with CNN. And evidently, in the Senate, they're talking about ending this year's session as soon as tomorrow. Right, right. You know, because they can't miss out on their break. People are suffering. People need help. This legislation is going to, to ease... Poverty and all these other things, but oh, no, no, no. we need our break. We need our vacation. Well, and that means that Build Back Better is not going to be passing before Christmas. The roadblock for President Biden's Build Back Better plan. Democrats now unlikely to pass the bill before the new year. Terry Moran is tracking the latest. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, George. That's right. Democrats will once again fail to meet one of their own self-imposed deadlines. This one uh, to pass by Christmas President Biden's ambitious domestic spending agenda. Uh, Biden just can't get Senator Joe Manchin, maybe one or two others on board that nearly two trillion dollar Build Back Better bill. And the big sticking point this time, the child tax credit that provides most American families with kids up to three hundred dollars per child per month. Manchin says that's just too expensive. Uh, and President Biden wants. Uh, Wants it very much in his bill, of course. It expires on December 31st, so there's urgency around that. Uh, Democrats have suggested that maybe they'll pass some version of this bill in January. Stay tuned. Okay. Meanwhile, Terry, the president seems to be pivoting towards voting rights, trying to get that done before the end, before the new year. That's not necessarily going to be any easier. Oh, that's going to be very hard, George. He, he did say yesterday, and this is a, a sign from him, he said there's nothing domestically more important than voting rights, and he wants to put that now at the front of the agenda. The problem is the filibuster. He needs 60 votes in the Senate to get it done, and once again, Senator Joe Manson and Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona, they have made clear they are not going to change the filibuster, so it looks like right across the board, the president's agenda is stuck. <laughs> Again, the language just in that news clip, right? There's going to be another failure for the Democrats. Also, aggressive spending bill. Ambitious. Ambitious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very hard for the voting rights. Very hard. Which, okay, yes, all of it was true, but does he need to do it like he's a commentator for WWE? <laughs> I don't I don't think he needs to go that far. We, let's, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Let's reel Coming it on in. down with the, the legislative agenda. Yeah, so <laughs> I think there are there are little whispers that Joe Biden is going to be making a statement about Build Back Better. I think Democrats are, at least according to various reports, reluctant to say that it's not going to be passing this year because they want Joe Biden to be the one to make that call. Yeah. So we will see what happens there. Uh, you know what I'd like to hear from? I'd like to hear a lot more aggressiveness from Democratic senators uh, about their colleagues, mm -hmm. about Kirsten Cinema about Joe Manchin, um, about the president holding Joe Biden accountable to wrangle the cats here. And there are a couple voices we've heard from. Uh, Hirono from Hawaii and Warren from Massachusetts. That's where he's at. And this is why if you have a 50-50 split Senate, you can have one person or two people just stop everything. And that is why people in our country should know that a 50-50 Senate sucks and we can't get things done. We need to get this done. We have talked, we have talked, we have talked. It's time to put it on the floor and vote. 
So Hirono being a little bit more aggressive there. And again, still not aggressive as I would like when she's like, well, you know, you've got one or two. She's not naming names. They need to be calling their colleagues out because this is too important to let fail. Mm -hmm. There are the lives of children who will be inexorably changed and bettered. If this thing passes, mm-hmm. even in its in its lessened form and its weakened form that we're at now with one point seven five trillion or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and you also heard in the previous news package this discussion about whether to make an exception to the filibuster for voting rights and that this is apparently going to be a focus that they have since they can't pass Build Back Better. I mean, who knows what's going to happen if they're wrapping it up and leaving for the holidays in the middle of the month. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's obvious that the Senate can make an exception to the filibuster because they just did that to raise the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion. And we saw this fantastic speech from Senator Warnock from Georgia talking about the exception to the filibuster and voting rights specifically. Democratic colleagues are saying, but what about what about bipartisanship? Isn't that important? I say, of course it is. But here's the thing we must remember. Slavery was bipartisan. Jim Crow segregation was bipartisan. The refusal of women's suffrage was bipartisan. The denial of the basic dignity of members of the LGBTQ community has long been bipartisan. The three-fifths compromise was the creation of a putative national unity at the expense of black people's basic humanity. So when colleagues in this chamber talk to me about bipartisanship, which I believe in, I just have to ask at whose expense? Who is being asked to foot the bill for this bipartisanship? And is liberty itself the cost? I submit that that's a price too high and a bridge too far. To my Democratic colleagues, I say while it is deeply unfortunate, it is more than apparent that it has been left to us to handle alone the task of safeguarding our democracy. The judgment of history is upon us. Future generations will ask, when the democracy was in a 911 state of emergency, what did you do to put the fire out? Did we rise to the moment or did we hide behind procedural rules? I believe that we Democrats can figure out how to get this done, even if that requires a change in the rules, which we established just last week that we can do when the issue is important enough. Well, the people of Georgia and across the country are saying that voting rights are important enough. I think the voting rights are important enough. Once we handle the debt ceiling, the Senate needs to make voting rights the very next issue we take up. We must do voting rights and we must deal with this issue now. 
So the central thesis there being that the Senate changed the rules to protect the economy. Yeah. And are they going to do the same in order to protect democracy? It is well. Listen, one, one. I've been saying this for a long time that it, this is not hyperbolic to say that we are at a crossroads. We are facing an existential crisis as a country, as a republic. It's the real deal. The Republican Party is tearing at, burning down the fabric of our very democracy, and Demo- Democrats are doing nothing about it. And we got the the committee looking into the events of January sixth. That that is. Uh, there's no prosecutorial. Um, authority there. That's just for passing legislation to prevent it from happening again. But if we don't safeguard voting rights, Joe Biden's right about one thing. This is the most important thing right now. Mm -hmm. And this should have been on the agenda before anything else, since they can't seem to chew gum and, and walk at the same time. Right. If only one thing can be accomplished at a time, this should have been the first thing. Mm -hmm. The filibuster should have been destroyed. As soon as Biden came into office, with a Democratic majority. They should have been working on McMansion and cinema right away. Mm-hmm. Because Warnock is right here. That Listen, the Senate oftentimes, the reason they don't want to get rid of it is because of tradition and how is it going to be looked upon. These people answer to the thought of their legacies. When you're, when you're at this level of power in our country, they worry about how history is going to view them. Mm-hmm. So when Warnock says... When democracy was in a 911 situation, what did you do? What did you do when death was at the doorstep of our country? Because largely, nothing. The answer will be nothing if we don't secure people's right to vote in a bold and vigorous way. Because the Republicans have eyes on chaos. They want to suppress the vote of people of color. They have done it for generations, and they will continue to do so unless we stop them. And they've created a roadmap this past election. They've learned from their mistakes. They're honing their craft, and they're getting better at better at what they do. Mm -hmm. So I hope that Democratic uh, lawmakers are listening not literally to this show. I mean, I hope they are. <laughs> we love audience. But I hope they're listening to the American people and listening to have their ear to the track, so to speak. Because there's a fucking freight train heading our way. And it's called voter suppression. In a, in, in a way that we haven't seen since Jim Crow era United States. And they better fucking do something. Yeah, well, I also loved what he had to say about bipartisanship, and I'm sure it upset many, (laughs) many people who like to put their head in the sand and ignore the reality of history. You mean like Joe Manchin and even Joe Biden? Yeah, I mean, but everything, everything that Senator Raphael Warnock said about bipartisanship in the past is true. And so this romanticizing of bipartisanship when we're in the climate that we're in right now it, it rings hollow. Well, it also rings hollow just based on the actual history of things. This is what bipartisanship got us. Right. Bipartisanship got us Jim Crow. Bipartisanship got us segregation. Bipartisanship got us dogs and fire hoses being used against people who just wanted to exercise their constitutionally guaranteed rights. Right. Fucking gross. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. Do you think it's as gross as I do? 
I think gross is your word today. I think you've described a few things as gross on the show. I like gross. Because <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's visceral. Mm. It's fucking gross. Yep. And it is. Yeah. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Louisiana Judge Michelle Odenay. Odenay. Yep. Judge Odenay. Yep. The sedated Judge Odenay. Well, that's what she claims. <laughs> so here, What a piece of shit. Here's another example of a white person being caught on tape using racial slurs and then blaming it on being sedated. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. A city Lafayette, a Lafayette City Court judge, I should say, is being called to resign after a video admittedly taken in her home contained racial slurs. Judge Michelle Oldney said that she and her family were the victims of an armed burglary at their home this past Saturday. 59-year-old Ronald Handy was arrested and charged with two counts of simple burglary. Lafayette Police Sergeant Paul Mouton confirmed with News 10 Handy did not have a weapon when he was arrested. But the story developed yesterday when a video surfaced with the N-word being used by a man and woman amid laughter while surveillance video was being watched. Judge Odenay said at the time of the video, she was on sedative and has no recollection of the recording or the language used in it. However, not everyone is convinced, and some leaders are asking for more from the judge. News 10's Nils Rang is in studio and shares their reactions. Neil. Thanks, Dalfred. And everyone, if you have not seen this video yet on social media, it's not great listening. And it was very difficult for Lafayette City Marshal Reggie Thomas, who works to protect the judge every day. When you go to court and you know somebody has have, uh, said those type of words, you cannot be comfortable in court thinking that somebody is going to treat you correctly. So this is a problem. This is a major problem. City Marshal Reggie Thomas is the first African-American elected in a citywide seat in Lafayette. When he heard about the video circulating online and thought he heard racial slurs from Judge Odenay's mouth, it hurt him. A weak apology will not suffice. When called about the video, Judge Odenay emailed us a statement. She said, the incident shook me to my core and my mental state was fragile. I was a wreck and am still unable to sleep. I was given a sedative at the time of the video. I have zero recollection of the video and the disturbing language used during it. Anyone who knows me and my husband knows this is contrary to the way we live our lives. I am deeply sorry and ask for your forgiveness and understanding as my family and I deal with this emotional aftermath of this armed burglary. As the report spread, so is the outcry. The Lafayette NAACP president asked for Judge Odenay's resignation, even that her decisions concerning people of color be rescinded. State Senator Gerald Boudreau is requesting the Judiciary Commission of Louisiana investigate, as well as Louisiana Black Caucus. It's nothing funny about what my ancestors went through. Who will call that word? There's nothing funny about it. Let's respect those who were beaten, who they took the fire hoses out. So that's what it brings up. That's the hatred that it brings up. 
And so, do people feel comfortable? No, they don't. None of the people behind the voices heard on the video can be seen as the camera is pointing directly at a screen showing security footage of the break-in attempt. But after Judge Odenay's response to the burglary and recording, some just can't accept nothing being done about it. True character is shown in the worst of times. We could talk about apologies, we could talk about resignations, but I think what we have to talk about is accountability. Don't make excuses for something you did. Mayor President Josh Guillory also released a statement this afternoon concerning Judge Odenay and a video. It reads, quote, I am disgusted and appalled by the recent reports involving a local judge this type of language is hurtful, divisive, and unacceptable. The fairness and objectivity of our courts are the foundation of our legal system. It is my hope that the judge will do what is best to help the community heal and move forward." End quote. Judge O'Neill was not at work today. She gave no indication in her statement that she would be stepping down from her position. Niels Rang, KLY News 10. And the latest on that is that she is planning to take unpaid leave of absence. That that's the plan here until everything cools down and people forget about it. Is well, that what she hoping? I hope not, but I mean, the, of course, this is ridiculous that she's blaming it on a sedative because everyone in that video, first of all, there's someone else using racial slurs as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one is like, whoa, whoa, Michelle, you don't talk like that. Are you on a sedative? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, it's it's funny that she describes herself as a wreck and talks about her mental state. Well, then you shouldn't be on the bench if you're so fragile to be able to sit in judgment over other people. Absolutely. Also, to say that this is contrary to the way we live our lives. Well, no, it's not. We witnessed how you live your life. Yeah. We witnessed a candid moment of you living your life, and in it, you were screaming the N-word. Yeah. And laughing hysterically. Gleefully. Ugh. Everyone in that household was. There was no one in that household that was like... Whoa, whoa, this isn't right. the norm here, guys. What's happening? What are you guys saying? It's not like when you're sedated, you hear someone in your, ho- in your house say the N-word. You don't just like, oh, well, I'm sedated. I can't. Because she seemed pretty peppy. Everyone did. I mean, yeah. everyone in the, in, the, in the room did. So, of course, I think talking about her past judgments against people of color is very important. Opening an investigation into the decisions that she has made in the past, that seems very important. She needs to resign. She needs to no longer be a judge. This is unacceptable. She cannot just take an unpaid leave of absence and hope that this goes away. No. Yeah, listen, a judge is a unique position in 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 our world because they are they are beyond reproach you cannot question them and their rulings you can't you can't mouth off to the court oh no you can't give a dirty look in the court <laughs> i mean it is it is um she is unquestionable yeah so if she is there in her unquestioned state passing judgment on people of color and then while at home calling them the N-word, fuck that. She needs to go. And it can't wait until the next election cycle because she's an elected judge, not an appointed one. Mm-hmm. So I hope Louisiana does the right thing here. I hope the city of Lafayette does the right thing here and fucking gets rid of this turd. No good. All right. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com.
taking care of biz. Henry the Hero Dog. Henry the Hero Dog. Henry the Hero Dog. An eight-year-old Boston Terrier, I believe Henry is. And Henry... He's say- really a Boston Terrier? Yeah, Boston Terrier. I don't know when I when I heard you play in the clip I, in my head. I didn't hear them say the ne- what kind of breed he was, mm-hmm. but I just thought he would be like a lab or something. Yeah, no, a Boston Terrier, and he helped save his baby sister's life. And by baby sister, you mean human. His human baby sister's <laughs> life, not his sister, <laughs> not related. His human baby sister, a human baby. He yes, helps save. his sister. Yes, He's- local hero. Who would have thought? <laughs> local hero, lifesaver, and very good boy. Henry, the Dowling family doggo in Glastonbury, Connecticut, credited with saving the life of his human's baby girl. Henry. Wait, not his sister? Did you go in the baby's room? Did you open her door? The eight-year-old Boston Terrier behaving oddly, repeatedly barging into the nursery and waking the baby. I could hear her on the monitor snoring a little more than usual. And usually the dog just puts himself to bed and kind of keeps to himself. But that night he was headbutting the door open and going into her room and standing there. And every time I shooed him away, um, he would go back in as soon as my back was turned. While Kelly and Jeff knew their daughter had a cold, it was Henry who sensed that things were getting worse overnight on Monday. She wasn't clearing her airway. She was. She started to turn blue and go rigid. And she just really couldn't, she couldn't get air, couldn't get any oxygen. Jeff and Kelly rushing baby girl to the hospital. Yep. Yeah, I may have broken a few traffic laws on the way to the hospital, but... Uh... Yeah, rushed her in, took her right into the ER, and they were able to clear up her airways. The family discharged several hours later. Kelly sharing the story on Twitter, writing, I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't woken her. We don't deserve dogs. Maybe so, but Henry deserves a little something special for his good deeds. Definitely spoiling the dog a little bit more. So he uh, he was allowed to sleep in bed with me last night, and uh, he's got he's got a stake in his future. And at eight years old, Henry, proof that sometimes you can teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, Oddly enough, he is not a huge fan of kids. Never done anything quite so heroic before. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn! I know you're going to be surprised. This was an ABC News clip. This was not Inside Edition. It I know really how was you ABC? love. Yeah, I know how you love Inside Edition videos, and this, this kind of just, sounded like it's one. So <laughs> just takes me out of feeling. I mean, I feel it's warm and fuzzy. It's great, <laughs> but it really it's it like, ruined your life. And it's just proof that you can teach old dogs new tricks. <laughs> yuck! 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 yuck. God damn. Yeah, so. Well, the one thing that does kind of tug at my heartstrings, and some of that's because we just lost Pop, is that we don't deserve dogs, man. How fucking great. Yeah. This dog didn't give two shits about this baby. (laughs) Outwardly. It's like, hey, you didn't really care, didn't ever, you know, just go away, be on it by himself. Yeah. But when the baby was at, at risk and there was a threat to the baby's life. Yeah. He's all over it. Yes. Awesome. Yes, very awesome. Very good to go, Henry. I hope that Henry enjoys his steak and apparently sleeping in bed only one night. Wow, seems kind of like he's getting cheated it out was, of the good life. Well, if it, they'd save the, the favorite kid, then they would probably longer, but it was just the baby, so. Well, <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> Insert disclaimer here. 
All right. We love you guys. We're going to leave you there. We would we would invite you and encourage you to sound off with your opinions. We would like to amplify your questions, your 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 opinions about all of these and other things um, that you choose to talk about. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit.com. We love you. See you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. And this has been I Doubt.